Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Welcome. Glad you're here. Joel, let's turn to the book of Joel, chapter 3, our last study in the book of Joel. Joel, one of the minor prophets. Not minor because it's a minor message, just minor because it's smaller, shorter than the major prophets. But, uh, you know, we we, um, embarked. I felt like I was supposed to Uh, you know, do some studies through the minor prophets and then uh, rotate back and forth with the letters of Paul. And and, uh, I really had no kind of, that was just all I knew. But I really kind of didn't have a plan that it was going to deal so much like with end times kinds of things. And so it's kind of like uh, helped me to kind of focus there and learn uh, some things that I needed to learn. So, uh, but... Uh, in chapter 1 of Joel, we saw the, the crisis, the economic crisis and spiritual crisis that was happening there to the nation of Israel and the, the locusts, you remember, were coming. It was just way beyond what they could handle and deal with, and, but yet a, yet a picture of that of what could happen in the future to them and to others, us included. And, but but uh, Joel's purpose from, from day one, from the beginning, is to turn the nation back to God, turn the people back to God. And when things happen like that, I think one of the lessons that came out of that chapter one was, you know, do we ever stop and say, what is God saying to us in these days when all these things are happening? Do we stop and ask him or do we just moan and whine and complain and and maybe even blame God instead of saying, God, what, what's going on? What do you want to say to us? Chapter 2, the first part, we looked at, at uh, the Lord says to those, uh, to those people, and really it's a message for all ages, return to me with all your heart. That's what he wants us to do. Return to him with all of our heart, not just part of our hearts, but all of it. Why? Because of who he is. It says there he's gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in love. Not... You know, we, we have to know who God is before we would want to turn to him and give him our, our whole hearts. And as we, as we read God's word, we find out amazing things about who he is. Also talked in there about the day of the Lord is close at hand. And to weep and to mourn and to be broken before him. Something that we don't hear much about, that God also, you know, he... You know, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. For us to be broken and mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And last week we looked at the second half of Joel chapter 2, and we talked about the last days that began, as Peter made it so clear, began in the day of Pentecost. The last days up until now even, that these last days that will continue until the great tribulation, Continue until the return of Christ to the earth to deliver Israel and to establish his kingdom. I I was just these two things that came out of that passage really uh, about the last days. God says, number one, that I will pour out my spirit. And boy, do we need it. I need it. We all need it. And we looked at some of the things that, you know, that the Holy Spirit does who he is that he that he helps us to witness with power he he guides us into the truth he brings glory to Jesus he helps us pray he brings fruit in our lives he gives us gifts to serve i will pour out my spirit and he hasn't taken that back 
He hasn't stopped that. He says, you know, well, that's enough now. You've got enough. No, he's still in the pouring out of his spirit. And the second thing that came out of that that really struck me is this. For the last days, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a message that, that is the gospel, that is the message for the world, for humanity. In the last days that, that he, you know, and, and we saw Peter, why is it taking so long? It's because he's patient towards us that, that all would come to repentance because he doesn't desire that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so this idea that, that uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls will be saved. It's an important thing to, to keep in mind. I remember back to many, many, many years ago, my oldest brother, we had been living in England for a while. We came back and we didn't, we didn't know why we'd come back. We wanted to still be there. We ended up going back there uh, after a year and a half. But we came back and we're just like, well, what's, you know, what's, what's, what are we supposed to do? What's going on now? And, and uh, my oldest brother, his name's Andrew, he came to me and he's, you know, He'd been doing all kinds of things. He'd been like a big-time drug dealer. He'd been doing all kinds of stuff. And he, and he comes back. He'd been in Colorado for a while. He comes back to San Diego, and he's driving this old, beat-up car, kind of like mine. And, and uh, I love my car. I'm not saying anything bad about my car. And, and, but it's just like he'd gone from driving Porsches, right? Now he's got this old thing that's barely holding together, barely running. And he's physically just not quite right something isn't isn't right and he's like you know but he came to came to me and and my wife he came to Paul and, and me and he said you know what I don't know what it is but you guys have but I want what you have and it's not very often that people come to you and say that and so I I got kind of nervous like you know what do I say now what do I do now but but I said well why don't you why don't you come to church with us right and I can still remember this. We were in the North Park Theater in San Diego, and Mike McIntosh was speaking, and he was speaking that night on Acts chapter 2, and he was quoting this passage, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, as Peter quoted it that day. And Mike gave an invitation that night, and my brother was the first one up out of his chair to go down forward. And I was just like... And then some of my best friends were there, and they came forward, and they were counselors, like, and they prayed with him at that point in time. Amazing. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, even big-time drug dealers who lives emptied up. And, and another little part of the story, I like telling stories if I can remember them, but my stepfather was a DEA agent. You know what that is? drug enforcement agency. He was, he was like one of the first agents when they formed this. And he knew what my brother was doing. He said, you know what? He told him, he said, listen, if I ever, if I ever am in the place to catch you, I, I will have to arrest you and take you down. He told him that, he said. But the Lord had different plans, obviously. So he went forward that night. The very next day, He'd been going to the doctor. Something was wrong with him. He's, he thought his back was out or something was bothering him. He went to the doctor. And finally, uh, the doctor said, listen, let's just do a chest X-ray. did a chest X-ray. His lungs were completely full of cancer. Completely full. And he was treated and that, but he lasted six months. 
six months. But the power of God's word, his life, his life turned around, you know. He didn't have a lot of time to get a lot of growth, right? And, you know, medication and everything else. But I can never forget that verse. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I look forward to seeing him in heaven. Reaching the loss of this message of hope. Today, now in Joel chapter 3, really, it's kind of, as, as one person put it, the final conflict in earth's history. The final conflict in earth's history. And I entitled this message, really, that that God isn't finished with Israel or me or you. God isn't finished. He's not done. He's not, it's not all over with. He's, he hasn't just like set things in motion and then he stands back. God is actively involved and he's actively bringing his purposes and his plans and he will bring them to pass and he will keep his promises. God's dealing, dealings with the nation of Israel, some say that he's all done with Israel. Well, it's just not biblical. It's just not so. It's not true. We'll see in this passage, he calls them his people. He calls them his inheritance. He calls, him, he calls it his land. And God is not finished with Israel. But the, the, the takeaway for you and I, uh, though we may not be Jewish and part of that nation of Israel, is that God isn't finished with me either. And God isn't finished with you. That's one of my favorite verses that we studied in Philippians. You know, Philippians 1, verse 6, that, that he who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's interesting to think about the, the way he puts that together, that, that these things, he will, he will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, all the way to the very end. And, and we kind of see that in in different passages we're going to look at today. And, and even here now in Joel chapter 3, he's going to bring it all to pass until that day when it all is brought together and Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. I don't know about you, but it's comforting to me. It's encouraging to me because sometimes, you know, we just need to know that God, God hasn't abandoned me. He hasn't finished with me. He's, he's still working in me. Still, he, He's doing a good work. And even when I don't see or know what is going on, He's still he's doing a good work. And He isn't finished. And I want to say to you today, He isn't finished with you. Though you may say, well, I've blown it. I, you know, I, made, I, I made a horrible mistake. We all make mistakes. You know, without the grace and mercy of God, where would any of us be, myself included? Without his grace and his mercy, forget it. Just forget it. It doesn't matter. He's there because of his grace and mercy. He's there and he's continuing to work. And he's got a plan. He's got a purpose in you. And he's going to work it out to the very end. He's not like you and I where we start these projects and we go, you know what, I've kind of lost interest in that. How many of you got some of those on your workbench back at home? I've got like five or I don't know how many of them sitting on the bench. You know, I told you about this guitar I was working on, and it's like in pieces. Like, it's like covered with dust. I've kind of lost interest in that. I say, well, God's kind of lost interest in me. Well, no, he hasn't lost interest in you. He cannot lose interest in you. It's against his very nature of who he is. He's going to finish what he started in you. 
So keep that in mind when you're looking at this passage, when you're thinking about the things that are going to come to pass. Let's look in Joel chapter 3, verse 1, all that in introduction. In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And there I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel, for they scattered my people among the nations and they divided up my land. They cast lots for my people, traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they might drink. Notice he says over and over, my people, my inheritance in those days and at that time, he's looking ahead, this prophetic picture that Joel is bringing. He's going to restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. That he does have a plan, that he has not abandoned his people. It's, it doesn't take a, 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 you know, a rocket scientist to, to think about the fact that the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, has been horribly treated. Now, at some points in time, you have to understand, some of the treatment they received was because of their own behavior. Because of their own turning away from God and, the, and, and that which came upon them was because of that. Some of the problems that you and I encounter are because of our own choices, right? We can't, you know, go against that, that biblical law of God that whatever a man sows, he'll also reap. We can't, we can't uh, you know, uh, short circuit that uh, in the sight of God. God will not be mocked. But, but the Jewish nation from Egypt to Assyria to Babylon and then thinking recently Hitler and, and, and then Iran and, and you, know, the, you know, they don't even try to hide it. Our stated goal and purpose is to destroy Israel, right? Have you heard it in the news? It, they don't hide it. It's like fact. And, and, and then you see, you know, I uh, was talking with, with Tommy about this, the, what's going on. Then you see, you know, Russia is now, you know, all cozying up to Iran and like how that's all going to play out and work together. My point is not to get into current events uh, in this particular message. Just the fact is that, that it, it has been a very difficult thing, but they are still God's people and we are called to pray for them and to bless them and to pray as we do. Every week for the peace of Jerusalem, as God's word says. But I want you to turn with me to, back to Genesis chapter 12, because it's a very important passage. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. When the nation of Israel, beginning, the nation is being formed, really beginning with Abram, later called Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. But look at verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Notice he says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. We see what we we're reading now here back in Joel, this final judgment against the nations in the valley of Jehoshaphat. And many see it as the valley of 
Armageddon, as spoken about in the book of Revelation in chapters 14 and chapter 16 and chapters 19, the battle of Armageddon, this, this final conflict in the history of the earth. Look at verse 4. Now, what have you against me, back in Joel chapter 3, O Tyre and Sidon and all you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? This is God speaking here. If you are paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. For you took my silver and my gold and carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. Taken out of the land. Interesting, isn't it? But really, what, what he's saying here now in this, this final conflict is, is, are you repaying me for something that I have done? What have you against me? The real battle, the real battle in the human race is against God. The real battle is rebellion against God, is shaking our fist at him and saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to have you in my life. I don't, you know, you have no part or purpose. Has he done anything that we need to pay him back for? I don't think so. Watch out. Verse 7 and 8, though, we see it says there, I am going to rouse them, that is the people of Israel, out of the places to which you sold them. And I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah. They will sell them to, to the Sabaeans, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. Look at those four words. The Lord has spoken. The people returning, the people of Israel returning. This is miraculous, really. Someone said this, that Israel, a nation that had not really existed as a separate nation for nearly 2,500 years, was declared a new sovereign state by an act of the United Nations on May 14, 1948. The nation was born in a day. Of course, it never really went away. God just regathered them back. And there's so many prop prophecies, so many promises that that's what God would do. He would bring them back to the land. And, and really, it's against all odds that that could have happened at all. But yet, because they were God's people, because they were his inheritance, because he had a purpose and a plan, he gathers them together, brings them back to the land. Notice those words again, the Lord has spoken. When the Lord has spoken. You remember that old commercial, you know, when E.F. Hutton speaks, we all stop and listen. When the Lord speaks, we better stop and listen. You have to be kind of older to remember stuff like that. But we, we need to, to know that what God says, he will do. And that God keeps his promises concerning Israel. He keeps his promises concerning you and me. He keeps his promises. We, this is what I'm saying. God isn't finished and he will keep his promise. The Lord has spoken and what God has said, he will do. End of story. But we're not to the end of the story yet. But at the end of the story, we'll see that whatever God has said, whatever God had purpose, whatever God had planned, He's going to do. It's, it's throughout the Bible, throughout the Scripture, the book that people are saying, I don't want to read that anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to study that. I don't want to look at that. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to go with what man has kind of devised and come up with. Psalm 145, 
The psalmist says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generation. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord's faithful to all his promises, all of them, every single one of them. There's not one that he's going to say, well, I forgot to keep that one. There's not one that he's going to say, well, you know, that one really doesn't apply anymore. I don't really want to talk about that. That's a little too, a little too this, a little too that. No, every single one he's going to keep it. Joshua found that. Joshua said, you know, everything that the Lord said that he was going to do, he did. He got to the end of his life and he goes, wow. Wow, God is faithful. Wow. Now to the end of the age. I want you to turn with me to the New Testament, though. There's a few verses I want to look at to, to kind of cement this point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, first of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. He says, <clears throat> notice the end time connection here. He says, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. He's faithful. He's going to get you to the end. He's going to get me to the end. He's going to keep us strong to the end so that we will be blameless at the end, on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not stopped. He hasn't taken a vacation. You remember when Elijah was against the false prophets there and, you know, uh, there was a, a, a battle of huge proportions there. there was, he was way outnumbered. He's one against hundreds and hundreds of these false prophets. And, you know, he said to them, you know, where's your God? You know, they were, they were dancing and cutting themselves and calling on their gods to come and, you know, join this battle and nothing happened. And he says, where's your God? Is he like, is he away somewhere? Is he, you know, in the bathroom? You know, where is he? Our God is not like that. He's right there. He's always there. He will never leave us and never forsake us, no matter how we feel, no matter what we think. We have to hold on to what God's Word says, and He says He will keep us blameless. He will keep us strong he will, so that we will be blameless on the day of our Lord. And he, he who has called us into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, He is faithful. The Lord is faithful. If you go with it, away with anything, I want you to think that and know that. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. One more um, verse we'll look at on this subject. Another verse that Paul wrote also with an end time connection in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to be studying there. It'll, it'll be a while before we get to chapter 5, of course. But look at chapter 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. God isn't finished with you, and he isn't finished with me. He's faithful, and he will do it. He's going to see it to the very end, no matter what. He will take it to the very end, to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the final days, the final hour, the final second. He's going to do everything that he's promised to do. 
including what we see here back now in the book of Joel. Let's turn back there, Joel chapter 3, verse 9. He says, proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war. Rouse the warriors, let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into, pl- into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I'm strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. It's a call to battle. Those that would come and they would battle against God. Prepare for war. Those who think that they can fight against the, lo- against the Lord. You can't win against God. You just cannot win against God. He's talking there in verse 12 now, the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes for the wine press is full and the vats overflow so great is their wickedness. God is speaking. He says, I'm going to judge. I'm going to sit to judge the nations on every side. This valley, the name Jehoshaphat means the Lord judges. In the valley of Jehoshaphat. And a, a, a couple more chapters that, are, that kind of tie into the end times picture, of course, is uh, Ezekiel chapter 38 and, and 39. And we see the, the, the nations that are, that are gathering together, Gog and Magog being brought down, brought into the land to fight against Israel, to attack Israel. But they will fail. The Bible says it very clearly. They will fail. God will do something radical. He's going to judge. Verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be dark and the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem, the earth, and the sky will tremble. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. You know, this verse, I think, has probably been taken out of context and, and used, you know, about the valley of decision. The truth is, it's not, a, it's not a valley to make a decision. Multitudes in the valley of decision, we saw these, they're gathering together to fight against the Lord, to fight against Israel. But, but they're not there to make a decision. The truth is, they're there. This is the valley of the judge's decision. And judge, the judge is the Lord, the judge is God, and, and the decision. is made by God, and by the time they get to this point, it's too late. It's not when they're going to make a decision. Oh, I see the Lord now, and I'm going to follow Him. It's it's too late. They've made up their mind. It, It really is a picture for you and I that we should not wait to make a decision to follow the Lord. We can't wait until we're in the valley of decision. We need to make the decision beforehand. Because when we get to that point, we stand before God. That's the, the judge's decision that, that, he has, that he has made judgment because of our sin. And we have rejected Jesus Christ. That is when we stand before him. He says, what have you done with my son? We can't say, well, can I decide now? He says, no, it's too late now. They're in the valley of decision, multitudes, multitudes. But we need to make our decision before we get to that point. We see these cataclysmic events occurring, and they will occur, and you, you read about them in the book of Revelation, just insane, incredible things happening. Warren Wiersbe said, frightening signs from the Lord will accompany this battle. 
Jesus himself taught that these signs would prepare the way for his personal coming to earth when he will defeat Israel's enemies, cleanse his people, and establish his kingdom. Radical things are going to happen on the earth. But notice the promise here, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold to those who are his. For his people, the people of Israel, he has a plan, he has a purpose. Finally, the last four verses, 17 through 21, or is that five? Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill, and Jerusalem will be holy, and never again will foreigners invade her. And in that day, the mountains will drip new wine, the hills will flow with milk, and all the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. But Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste because of violence done to the people of Judah in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever and Jerusalem through all generations. And their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. The Lord dwells in Zion. The Lord speaks in these last verses here and he says, you'll know at that point in time that number one, that he is God and that he's with them. He speaks and he says that Jerusalem will be holy. It will be safe forever. He speaks of the new wine and the milk and the water, but most importantly, the fact that he dwells. The Lord dwells in Zion. Some interesting things. I want you to turn with me to two last passages before we have communion. Number one in Ezekiel. Turn to the book of Ezekiel, the last words of the book of Ezekiel. We have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. So turn back to Ezekiel chapter 48. At the end of this very long book of prophecy of Ezekiel, at the very end, look what he says. Chapter 48, verse 35, the distance all around will be 18,000 cubits. But look at the last words. He says, and the name of the city from that time on will be, the Lord is there. See, the Lord is there. We see, we see that at the end of the book of Joel. The Lord dwells in Zion. At the end, he says, what's the most important thing? The name of the city from that time on, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. You and I, 1 Corinthians 15 says, one day we're going to see him face to face. What's the most important thing? That, that he's there. And then turn ahead to Revelation chapter 21. At the very, very end of the story. Revelation chapter 21. Not the last chapter, but getting to the end of the story. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for 
The old order of things has passed away. The dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. The Lord is there. That's what it's going to be all about. Eternity with the Lord, with God, with the Almighty God. That's what hell is. The opposite of that. Separated from God forever and ever and ever. His presence. That's what heaven is all about. God isn't finished. We still have a ways to go. Whether it's the end of our earthly lives or, or the end of the whole picture as God begins to bring it all together and make it all happen. Is it tomorrow? I don't know. None of us knows. But we need to be ready now. We can't wait till the valley of decision to make a decision. That's when the Lord brings forth His decisions. We're going to have communion now. I just want to take a few minutes. We'll pray and then uh, have a little time of prayer and and have the worship team and others here to pray for you and with you. And and, uh, then we have the communion will be on the back table. And uh, you can go and get it uh, after a few minutes and and, uh, have uh, communion by yourself or with someone that you're with and pray together. But we come and we remember the cross. We saw in the, the last verse, verses there in, in, uh, in Joel where it says that the people were pardoned. He says, I pardoned them. For, for, for all of us, the pardon comes at the cross, really. To remember his death until he returns. That's where our pardon was secured. That's where, that's where our judgment, his The judgment that that should have been ours came upon him. Where his judgment, his decision of judgment on us was satisfied at the cross. Let's pray together and have a little quiet time together. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you are faithful, that you will do it, that you have not finished with each one of us. But we also look around the world and we we see radical things happening, some of them horrible, some of them excellent and and wonderful. But we know that that, uh, no one can stand against your purposes and your plan, and, and in the end, your word stands. And you will complete and fulfill every promise that you have made. Father, open our eyes to see, to understand your word, to help us to to look ahead and and to look up for our our redemption draws near. Father, we want to be ready for that day. Maybe some of us, Lord, are are kind of procrastinating with with giving our hearts and lives to you or or living for you, one or the other. And and, uh, we come to you now, Lord, and say, God, we don't want to wait a minute longer, a second longer. We want to call upon your name today and be saved that we might dwell in heaven for you, with you forever and ever. And know that place of peace and rest and no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying, no more mourning, no more death. Because you're there. And that makes it all worthwhile because you're there. If that's you this morning, cry out to him in this quiet time that we're going to share together. Even now, call upon his name. It's all you need to do. Call upon him with all your heart, though. 
not just saying words. It's meaning it's, it's coming with your whole heart and, and surrendering to him and saying, I'm tired of fighting. I've given up the fight against you. So have your way. Come and live inside me. And for some of us that are discouraged because we don't see what we think we should see, maybe, maybe we're just going through a valley. And Lord, we just come and say, God, I, I thank you for your word that you, you, you are uh, faithful. And you'll do and you'll keep your promises. You will not give up. You have not abandoned me just as you have not abandoned the people of Israel, that nation, your inheritance.